Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey folks, Roland Martin here reporting live from Los Angeles uh, here at the Roosevelt Hotel uh, where the memorial service for uh, legendary comedian Paul Mooney is going to be starting uh, shortly. We are the uh, only uh, media outlet actually uh, live reporting from here, live streaming this particular event. 
Uh, a group of friends of Paul Mooney uh, got together and decided to put this on. Uh, as you can see, uh, the room is packed. Uh, there are folks uh, all here. Uh, there are a number of people who are going to be uh, performing here as well. Uh, there are going to be lots of different stores. You know, uh, when it's comedians, you know it's going to be funny as well. Uh, it was a few weeks ago when Paul Mooney uh, passed away, uh, dying at the age of, uh, of course, uh, 78. Uh, we, we got the call. I got the call from uh, his cousin Rudy. And he said, hey, Paul always said if anything happens to him, I, he wanted the black media to be the first to know. Uh, and so uh, he said, be sure to call that. He said, be sure to call, call that crazy N-word Roland Martin, let him know. And so uh, I, I told his family that we would definitely be here. They invited me to attend this memorial. Uh, and they uh, wanted me uh, to be here, and so that's why we are here. Uh, a number of people, Eddie Griffin, Lunell, George Lopez, going to be presenting. They're uh, going to be, of course, talking about Paul Mooney, uh, Steve Harvey, Dave Chappelle, others have done videos. Uh, singers, uh, Denise Williams, Jonathan Butler, going to be performing here as well. Uh, and so uh, it is going to be a celebration of the life of comedian Paul Mooney, of course, who so many folks. Remember, uh, from his uh, stage act, but also being a writer for Richard Pryor and, of course, uh, being very much uh, a legend in the comedy field. Greatly respected by many. Somebody, you talk about unfiltered, that definitely applies uh, to Paul Mooney, uh, who said exactly uh, what he meant, did not care what people thought. And if he saw white folks leaving his comedy show, uh, then he knew that he did exactly what it is uh, that he wanted to achieve. And so uh, we certainly wanted uh, to be here uh, to honor his life. And that's why we're going to be live streaming this three-hour program, uh, and that's going to be taking place. And so that's why we are here, here uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, you might remember. Uh, it's, it, it, so what we're going to do, we're going to start the program right now. Here we go. reception among all of you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. As was stated moments ago, my name is Ren T. Brown, and I'm honored beyond measure to join with all of you in the celebration of a genius. The brilliant, the ebullient, the inimitable, the indefatigable, the sagacious, the perspicacious, the noctilucent, and the noctiflorous, Mr. Paul Mooney. In the immortal words of Nicki Minaj, it's about to go down basement. Ladies and gentlemen, our musical director for the day, please acknowledge the pianistic stylings of Mr. Wayne Lindsay. And given the Bacchanalian nature of this affair, I'll wait till everyone gets it, the Bacchanalian nature of this affair, we are in need of a word of prayer. And at this time, to present the invocation and a word of prayer, please welcome the Reverend Dr. Leon Campbell to this podium. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I just wanted to take a moment to welcome you all as we celebrate and honor Mr. Paul Gladney, better known as Paul Mooney, the godfather of comedy. And so let us just take a moment to turn within as we celebrate his genius, as we celebrate his legacy. 
Let's take a breath. God of my spirit, supreme inspiration. God of my heart, we take refuge in your great love. Creator and ultimate wisdom, may all be blessed and may all find their way to love. We honor this genius of a man named Paul Moody, giving thanks for his appearance and because of his appearance, because of his service, because of what he has intended to do and to be, we're in a better place. And so we just acknowledge him, pray for all those who are gathered here, all of the family members, all of the guests, we just embrace them knowing that they have been embraced through the great I am, through the great God Almighty. And we were blessed with Mr. Paul Moody. We give thanks for his presence. We give thanks for his love, knowing that it was a unique time and it still lingers on through his words, through his inspiration, through his comedy. We give thanks. And we all say together, and so it is. Amen. I just want to say something briefly because, you know, I'm from the Agape International Spiritual Center, and I used to, I used to teach some of the grandchildren and hear my children right over here. And so, Reverend Michael sends his loves and regards. And uh, I wanted to say it's my pleasure to speak briefly about this pioneer, this trailblazer, and this great griot. A pioneer who paved the way for many of us, and when I say paved the way, he opened doors for many of us in the entertainment industry, and these doors also opened other doors in our lives. We stand on the shoulders of this remarkable trailblazers. Paul did some of the heavy lifting which helped open the door for some of you, some of the most amazing talent that I'm looking at right now. Paul made it okay to say what was needed to be said, and he made it okay to la to, for us to laugh, not only laugh, but to laugh at ourselves. Paul was a modern-day griot who touched the lives of many de generations. He was a storyteller who knew how to draw a distinct connection between life and the African-American experience. I just want to close by saying, Paul gave me hope through laughter. I was able to laugh through my tears. I was able to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I want to thank you, Brother Paul Moody, and I want to thank you all for being present to honor this great trailblazer. Have a great service. Thank you. Introducing CC Rain, y'all. Give us some love.
It's just me and you. I feel so lost. Cause I don't know what to do. Now what if I choose the wrong thing to do? I'm so afraid. Afraid of disappointing you. So to talk to you and ask you for your guidance especially today when my life is so cloudy guide me until I'm sure I
CC Rain. Let her hear it. CC Rain. At this time, I'd like to welcome to the podium Mr. Bill Burr. Bill, are you here? Bill Burr, are you in the house? White absence is, is concomitant to white fragility. Ladies and gentlemen, we're moving on. I just want to be honest with you right at the outset that the program as structured is longer than a horse dream. So we need to get through this. At this time, in the absence of Bill Burr, I would like to bring to this stand one of the finest filmmakers America has ever produced and one of the finest comedians and actors and one of my dearest friends, and I'm just overjoyed to see him today and see them both. Would you please welcome to this stage Mr. Spike Lee and Mr. Damon Wayans. Let him hear it. Spike took the old man route. <laughs> So when I saw my brother here, I said, we should come up here together. And he was gracious enough to, to share this moment with us. Uh, we worked together with our brother, um, Bamboozle. And uh, I remember the day we, we filmed him. And he did his, I don't want to say a routine, but his, uh, his stuff. And the whole crew, besides the extras, were there. And he just put it down. And it was an honor for both of us to be working with him. And uh, we've lost a lot of people during this pandemic. And for a minute, it was like day after day after day after day after day. And I hope that we all realize how precious life is. In a couple of days, we're gonna reach the 600,000 mark for Americans, our parents, grandparents, sisters, brothers, cousins, nephews, friends who are no longer here. And that number is more than Americans died in World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined. So when we come together like this to honor our giants, let's also remember how precious life is. Because as we've learned, with a snap of a finger, it can be over. Thank you, Spike, and it is an honor to share the stage with you. Um, I just want to talk about, because Mooney would want us, he's a comedian, comedians wants the jokes. 
Yes, nigga, but be funny, yo. Be funny. So I just want to talk about the three things Paul taught me as a comedian. The first thing he taught me was how to be fearless. He was the most fearless comedian I've ever seen. We used to, yeah. Back in 1985, we used to go up to the comedy store. He would go on last. We called it the Mooney Hour. And he would piss. He would, he would chase white people out. They would get up. He said, sit down. We didn't walk off the plantation. It was just so wonderful to watch him not care. The second thing he taught me was humility. I remember when uh, In Living Color first started, you know, taking off, and he was working on it. He comes to me and goes, homie, they'll tell you they love you. They don't love you. They hate you. Spend the money, enjoy your success. It's the illusion of inclusion, homie. And he was so free. Mooney was so free. He didn't care. You know, he's the TurboTax. Free, 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 free. And the last thing he taught me was how to rock a hat on stage. Nobody rocked a hat like Mr. Mooney. And I'm going to tell you guys something that y'all probably don't know. I used to see him every year at the uh, memorial for Jesus Christ. And he would be there in the back of the room. And the first time I saw him, I'm like, Paul, what are you doing? He said, homie, what are you doing here? He said, it's the truth, homie. It's the truth. I'm trying to get my ticket into paradise. And so based on everything I know in the Bible, I will see him there in paradise. I love you, Paul. Now a word from Dave Chappelle. How are you doing today? That's a tough one. I want to shout out every comedian on earth. One of the best that ever did it passed away today. His legacy will live forever. He did everything from Richard Pryor's show to Chappelle's show. He's one of the first black people ever in the Writers Guild. Paul Mooney will be sorely missed and wildly remembered. One, one, I'll see you today. Okay, one of the greatest comedians ever. All right. Oh, all right. Thank you for your time. Of course. Sorry for your loss. Hey y'all, uh, Redden told you who I was, uh, I'd like to uh, thank you guys for letting me be your musical host this evening, or this afternoon. I have assembled a lot of my very good friends to come and perform for you. Uh, before I go into that, I would just like to say that I was fortunate and blessed to have worked with Mr. Paul Mooney in 1988 when I was the pianist for a woman named Aretha Franklin. <laughs> we did five nights at Radio City with Paul and Peebo opening up for us. So we got a chance to hang out backstage and upstairs every night. So believe me, it's truly an honor to be here in this capacity with you guys today. And we're going to have a lot of fun. 
Uh, I spoke with Daryl earlier and he assured me that this is a celebration. So anyway, with that being said, I'd like to kick this thing off with Lewis Price. Lewis Price, can I have an A flat? This cat was bold, black, and beautiful. And his courage, you know, you gotta give it a, his courage not only helped comedians, they helped cats like me, cause who you know is gonna start over there? Very superstitious. I was trying, I said, Wayne, I don't know what to sing. He said, well, you gotta come up with something. So all these songs were going through my mind. I said, man, what do I sing? I have decided to follow Jesus. Oh, oh, I have decided Jesus was cool, right? All right. No turning back. No turning back. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Man, that's beautiful. Oh, but no, I don't know. You think Paul would have liked that? You know what he was. Wang, and you, you know it, because we remember getting some of that, that light. He was a shining light. And wherever he went, Oh, his light was shining, okay? Even though sometimes it was a fluorescent light, this cat would expose you. You know, you, when you used to go into those clubs and they put that fluorescent light on you and it would show up and stuff. He would tell all the stuff in his mind that was showing up inside, white people, all kinds of people. So he was a light. What, you think we could do something that has something to do with light? What'd you think? This little light of night 
I'm gonna let it shine. I said this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You know, I'm gonna get that right son. How much time I got, Wayne? Not too much, huh? I don't, it's, you early, so it's, so it's their problem. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, uh, let's just, let's leave him with this one. Bring it down, make it real sweet. You may think you're hurting no one when you do what you do in the dark. Of the night and day To think that you're in your own world And not care about the things that you do All the things you say You know what? It's like no one takes responsibility Always Blaming someone else Why don't we just face reality You're not on this earth by yourself And everything you do Touches somebody Everything you do And what you say Mr. Lewis Price, let him hear it, ladies and gentlemen. 
Lewis Price, the pride of Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Lewis, before I introduce the next participant, I want to just talk to Lewis just for a moment. Lewis had such an Aristotelian entrance, sitting there as if he were older than Black Pepper, getting up with aches and pains, and then he leaps onto the stage and does an unrehearsed medley. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Lewis Price, ladies and gentlemen, let him hear it. Exquisite Lewis Price. At this time, I'd like to bring an actor to the stage, a comedian to the stage, a writer to the stage. His mother, Mitzi Shore, was everything at the Comedy Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Mr. Paulie Shore. So I got the email from the Paul Mooney family. Thank you for having me. Respect, right? And I'm like, fuck, I have a show tonight. And then I said, you know what, fuck my show because Paul Mooney would want me to be here because I live in Las Vegas now because that's what happens when you're a perverted white guy living in Hollywood. Okay, no jokes. Damon said we could do jokes. Anyways. My name is Polly Shore. My mom started the comedy store back in 1972 with my dad. My dad started it. My mom wanted the fucking divorce. But that's another thing. I want to give it up to my mom, Mitzi Shore, for starting the place back then. And, um, and it's crazy. Um, I see a lot of people here. I saw May May here. Give it up for May May. Uh, see a lot of familiar faces. And it's weird. I'm 53 years old now. Yeah, I know. It's crazy because which means we're all fucking old now too, like Spike said. So the point is, is that it's crazy because all these guys like Mitchell Walters and, and uh, Carl LeBeau passed away and all my babysitters, the people that fucking used to give me drugs when I was a kid are all dying and shit. Can we do a song? Are we allowed to do a song? Here we go. We are fam. No, okay, here we go. Anyways, I, I live in Vegas. I had a show tonight. I canceled it because I heard Paul Mooney say, get your motherfucking white ass to my thing, motherfucker. And I heard my mom say, go to the fucking thing, represent the store. So I'm, I lost some money. You know, as a Jewish person, it's tough. It's going to make some money. But anyways, um, I used to watch Paul Mooney back in the 70s early 80s he used to sit on the stool at about 2 I don't know 1 30 in the morning he'd take uh, we'd give him a moe and we put a straw in it and then he would say the n-word a lot and obviously I can't say that shit but he would say da 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 I do it so much my teeth turn white or some shit remember that I can't say it because I'll get fucked there's cameras and shit everywhere so but Paul Mooney used to just flow, and that's what I fucking love watching him. He would just flow. And him, like Rodney Dangerfield, you know, he made it a little bit later in life. But I was so happy that Paul made it. I was so happy that Dave Chappelle gave him a shot on his show and respect and put him out there so then he could fucking headline and not open for people and make a whole bunch of money. 
And I was so happy to see that. And, um, and he matured a little bit later on stage and he became a huge, huge uh, star. And he's so, so well respected. And I came here because of Paul. I knew I was going to see his twins. I haven't seen them since fucking the strike or some shit. We used, to, we used to play in the comedy store basketball team, and I used to see it. They were on the fucking team, too. And, um, but it's so nice to be here amongst family. Thank you for having me. And uh, Paul Mooney is in my heart. Every time I see a smile on the, on the screen and I see him, I feel like I'm connected to him still. So he's not with us physically, but emotionally he's with us. I love you so much, Paul Mooney, and uh, thank you for being with my mom all those years at the store because when I think of the comedy store, I think of my mom and I think of Paul Mooney drinking the fucking moe, cruising around the hallway. And I love you so much, Paul, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Paulie Shore, ladies and gentlemen, let him hear it. Paulie Shore, all the way from Las Vegas. At this time, I'd like to bring to the microphone one of Mooney's dearest friends, an extraordinarily funny man, one of his great colleagues. Joey Kamen, would you please come? There he is. Let him hear it, ladies and gentlemen, Joey Kamen. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, before I start, I wanted to give a message um, from Kitty Bruce. If you don't know who Kitty Bruce is, she's the daughter of legendary Lenny Bruce. And I spoke to her last week, and she wanted me to give a, a special message, a very simple message that she loved, loved, loved Paul, and she wanted to express her condolences to the family. And um, she couldn't be here. She lives in uh, 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 Pennsylvania now. And, but she did want me to say it to the group that... Uh, She's, she was upset, <laughs> but she wanted to express her love. I first met Paul Mooney when I was 17 years old in 1974 at the end. Believe it or not, I was performing professionally at the comedy store at that age. And he was one of the few adults that treated me with respect. Because there was a lot, you know, you're doing the job that adults are doing at 17. A lot of these fuckers don't like you at all, you know, because you're getting laughs and all that kind of stuff. And um, we would do literally hundreds of shows together because Mitchie would have me go before him because my act was, I'm from Detroit, and I grew up on the streets of Detroit, you know, and my act was very ethnic, for lack of better words, where I performed all these different black characters, and Paul had nicknamed me the Negro Impressionist. Oh, he's the Negro Impressionist, homie. And Paul was just a good guy to me. I don't, I don't know him as a legend. I know him as my friend. And I have so many stories about him. I mean, I, I told some at the Laugh Factory when they did this a couple weeks ago. And um, uh, with Richard Pryor, I would watch Richard Pryor. And Richard Pryor, uh, the first time he saw me when I was 18 years old, he wanted to kick my ass, okay? Because I was on stage doing my black characters, which were like, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, when you're 18 years old, you just were fucking around. I go, hey, have you guys seen those black Hare Krishnas down at the airport? And I go, Hare Krishna! How recreate sing ho and then like you know, punching him in the face, you know, stupid kid shit, you know. So he looked at Paul. I didn't know who Richard Pryor was, and he looked at Paul and he goes, "Who's this motherfucker, Al Joseph's son?" So 
My nickname for many years became Al Josen's son, and Paul calmed him down because he was coked up and wanted to beat me up. So, you know, <clears throat> you know, Paul calmed him down, and um, he introduced me to him, and he was very cool. And I, I you know, back then, you know, he only he had like one hit album out, that N Word's Crazy, and he was on like, I think, uh, the movie with Diana Ross, uh, Mahogany. And so I went out and bought his album, uh, That N Word's Crazy, and I was just a lifelong fan after that. And he, I was allowed to go on before him. With a, a select few comedians that would get it was me uh rest in peace johnny witherspoon rest in peace uh, shirley hemphill who was a, a good friend of mine and also a native american indian comedian named uh, charlie hill would go on before him also uh, in, in, in front of uh, the uh when richard would perform there and i'd see hundreds of performances of richard's you know i mean you know this is something i said he worked all that material at sunset strip and it was fascinating to watch him work but let me get to paul anyways paul was just he was insane. I mean, stuff he would, people don't realize, you know, we hung out a lot. We used to go to the movies all the time after the show. We go to the movies. And Paul's one of these guys, when you go, I kid you not, you go to the movies with him, he talks to the screen. And it's really embarrassing. Don't go in that room, homie. Oh, the killer's in there, brother. And, like a, and, and one time in Vegas, he really made me laugh. We were working in Las Vegas. And we went to the movie, one of those slasher movies, okay? And it's like, you know, it's all, the group of teenage kids are going to get killed by Jason or whatever. And, and there's this one token black kid in there. And when he goes, oh, I can't wait till they kill this motherfucker. Okay. The little guy talking about, hey, buddy, hey, buddy. He's making fun of him real loud. I didn't mind him talking about it. So about 15 minutes later, the kid gets, the little black kid gets killed. And he's like, yes. He starts applauding in the theater. And people would turn around, shut up. You know, so he's pretty funny, you know. And Paul would do crazy shit, not only that, with other people off, off stage. You know, I remember one time I was, uh, these are stories no one's ever really heard. Well, actually, here, I'll tell you two. Uh, he had told me, he goes, Joey, I met Madonna. I go, you met Madonna, really? I go, what was she like? He goes, I had to straighten her ass out, homie. He went to lunch with Sandra Bernhardt and Madonna when she was, like, hanging out with Madonna in those days. And he said they were having lunch, and he looked and said, what are you eating? And she gave him an attitude, and then he told me, he said to her, look, bitch, I didn't ask you who you were eating, I asked you what you were eating. Straightened her ass out. So, I mean, I don't know how long I can tell you, I can tell you a bunch of stories, I mean, and one time I was, uh, the, the, you don't mind hearing these guys? Okay. All right, so Paul would, uh, one time I was dating this real cute, tiny, little, petite, uh, light-skinned black girl for a couple months. And we'd go to the comedy store, because I was there every single night. I performed every single night. And, you know, we'd sit in the back there, and um, uh, Paul would be the only black comedian to come and talk to me. The other guys would look at me like, what's he doing with her? How'd he get her? You know, I know that they're thinking. And uh, you know that old phrase, once you go white, you know it's right. So, so, she thought Paul was hilarious, okay? And Paul drove shitty cars, okay? He's this shitty uh, Jaguar that was always breaking down. And then he had this big old green ugly Cadillac that ate oil every 200 miles. And so he was always asking me to give him rides home, you know? And give me a, brother, I need a ride. So I'm sitting in the back of the club, you know, and I, there's a phone call. There's no pagers then. There's no cell phone. There's no internet. There's nothing. So I get a phone call in, in the booth there, and I go, who the hell's calling me at the comedy store? Brother, I need a ride. So 
he was down on Doheny and Sunset. I think he was having a meeting at Mitzi's house. She lived up the hill. So uh, I go and get him in the car, and I have this date with me, okay? And it's a little car I'm driving, you know, like a little Dodge Colt or whatever, and she, uh, Paul wants to sit in the front seat. So she, he sits in the front seat. I'm driving, and she's in the back seat, okay? So all of a sudden, we're driving, and she's all excited that Paul Mooney's in the car, you know? So all of a sudden, she takes it upon herself to announce her ethnicity. And she says, you know, Paul, I'm part Scottish and American Indian and, and French on my mother's side and blah, 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 blah. And Paul just looks at her and goes, no, bitch, you're an N-word. I think he ruined me getting laid that night. You know, I mean, he's like, you know, it just, there were a lot of stories, you know, uh, Paul, but, you know, he had, Paul didn't actually, you know, we worked out in the comedy store for many years and Mitzi would always have me go to La Jolla with them or Las Vegas with them, you know, because she liked to put like her ethnic show together and I was like the token white guy, you know, and um, she, uh, Paul was, didn't really become super famous until like the Chappelle show in 90, so it was like 20 something odd years of him just like toiling sort of an obscurity, obscurity because they, the club owners didn't want to put him on because, you know, he was just so radical. and. I used to give him these, Paul would do these jokes. If any, he wanted to hear from me, for some reason, he didn't care if I told him any racist joke or anything like that because he wanted to hear it. Now, what, what guy wants to hear this? If I said it to any other black guy, I'd get my ass kicked. He goes, I need those jokes. So, he used to have a section in his act, and the, and the section was about five, ten minute section, okay, that uh, was, these are my favorite N-word jokes told to me by my white friends the most racist jokes you ever heard. And the juxtaposition of that was like, you know, uh, here's a black guy telling racist black jokes that probably have not only been heard at Klan meetings, and he's telling them on stage, and the audience is going ape shit. They're going insane. And it was so strong that he, when he tried to do his regular material after that, um, <laughs> it didn't fly as well because these jokes were that powerful. But anyways, in wrapping up, I just wanted to say, you know, when I, I hadn't seen Paul in many years, and I was really saddened to hear that he had dementia, was ailing health and all that kind of stuff. And then when he, I saw on the internet that he died, um, at first I went, oh gosh. And then about 20 minutes later, it kind of hit me, and all these memories flowed back into me when I was a kid. And, you know, he was one of the few that showed me respect. And, you know, Paul had his demons, big and small, like, like everybody else. But to me, he was just a really good guy who always kept his word to the comedians, and not much to the family, but to the comedians. And, and he was just a good guy, and I hope he's at peace now, and uh, you know, I've always loved you, and I love you, Paul, and I hope you're where you are, and you're okay. Thank you very much for having me tonight. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, a video from Jay Leno. I first met Paul Mooney back in the 70s at the Comedy Store. When I got here, Paul was one of the kings of the Comedy Store. He would blow the room out every night, hilariously funny. I can remember when uh, the TV show Roots premiered, I think it was in 77. Uh, that's when Paul was in his element. He, he took that, it was, at the time for those you know, too young, it was a hugely popular show about slavery and Kuta Kinte and all of that. And uh, 
Paul come in every night and go, white people keep apologizing. I'm sorry. I didn't know. He would do this hilarious. It was just hilarious. He would just kill every single night with that. Plus, he was also uh, Richard Pryor's muse, you know. Lenny Bruce had a guy named Joe Ansis who was friends with uh, Rodney. And, and uh, Joe Ansis was not a comedian, but a very funny guy. He gave Lenny a lot of material. He gave Rodney material. And that's kind of what I think Paul did with uh, Richard Pryor. I'd see them put their heads together at the comedy store, and, and Mooney would tell them something, and then Richard would go up and kill with it. And it was fascinating. But he was exasperating <laughs> to deal with. You know, he was just... I remember one time he, he said, uh, Jay, Jay, you got jumper cables? You, you, you got cars? You got cars? I, I need jumper cables. I got a car at my house. It's dead. I said, yeah, I got Paul. Give me one of those. I give my jumper cables. Two weeks go by, two weeks, four weeks. So after about six weeks, I go, Paul, can I get my jumper cables back? He said, I threw them away. I said, why did you throw them away? Because they didn't work. They're broken. What do you mean they're broken? They're, they're cables. What do you mean they're broken? Well, I put them in my car and it started, so I threw them away. I said, did you put them on right? And then he gives me, oh, oh, you're saying a black man doesn't know how to put jumper cables on. Is that what you're saying? saying black people can't wear jumper cables? No, no, Paul. So, you know, <laughs> it, and it was just like the most ridiculous guy. I said, look, just... Where did you throw them? I'll go get them. Because nobody had any money back in the 70s. You know, I said, I threw them in the garbage. I threw them away. Look, I put them in my car. They didn't work. I said, well, what, what didn't work? It's just a cable. The cable wasn't broken. It goes from one battery to the next battery. I, I, saw, I, never, I never got my cables back. Uh, you know, that, that was just sort of my relationship with Paul. Very cantankerous, but always funny, you know. The funny thing about the comedy business, there can be people you have nothing in common with. But you have this bond because you're a comic. Because I come from a little town in New England. I never met another comedian. And when I came here, it was all comedians. And Paul was one of those guys, just a quirky, kind of interesting guy. I remember one time I saw an old episode of Playboy After Dark. That was Hugh Hefner's TV show. It was black and white. And half goes, we got uh, a very funny young man there, Mr. Paul Mooney. What? Mooney? What? Well, I'm thinking, how old is Mooney? This, I was in high school when this, this show was on. I, we could never figure out how old he was, because he always looked great. And then he played Sam Cooke in that movie, I think it was a Buddy Holly story, so everybody was really excited about that. That was kind of cool. The last time I saw him, I didn't actually see him. I was, uh, I was driving through town, and I see a lady stuck with a car, so I said, can I help you? Oh, yeah. So I help her out with a car, and she can't get it running, guys. Well, let me give you a ride. Where do you go? She don't go in this place, and she goes, you're the comedian, right? I said, I think you know my uh, my cousin or my uncle. I said, who's your uncle? Oh, Paul Mooney. I go, oh, yeah, I know Paul. Said, How's he doing? She said, well, he's been sick. I said, oh, I didn't know that. I said, you got a phone number? Give him a call. You know, so, excuse me now. I get home. I go, Paul, Jay Leno. Hey, what's going on? I said, I met your cousin. Her car broke down, and uh, I gave her a ride. He goes, I don't pay for her. You know, I don't, I don't cover her. I'm, I ain't going to pay you for what you did for her. You're not getting money from me. I, go, I don't want your money, Paul. I'm just telling you. She goes, well, why are you calling me about it? I go, Paul, I'm just telling you. I met your cousin, okay? It's just a chance to touch base. That's all. I heard you're sick. No, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. But do, does, my, does my cousin owe you money? No, he doesn't owe you any money. I just gave her a ride from one place to the next. I couldn't fix her car. She told me you were sick. I just want to call and check in with you. And that was kind of my last conversation with him you know he was a comic to the end funny a genuine original i mean he really was it was uh it wasn't so much you know a lot of comics say things funny a lot of comics do things funny paul said and did things funny uh 
he said it in a funny way, he did it in a funny way. So even when he was like cantankerous and irritable with you, it still made you laugh. So I don't know. God bless old friend. Godspeed. Now a word from Tasha Day. My name is Tasha Day. I'm one of Mooney's good friends. As mentioned in the Masterpiece CD, I'm the Tasha he's talking about. Um, Tasha Day. First time I saw Mooney perform was the Raw Tour. It was, I was blown away. I wasn't expecting it. Um, here was this guy saying things <laughs> I had never heard any comedian go. It was raw. Let me just put it that way. It was very raw. Uh, the perfect opener for a concert, for a raw tour. I laughed so hard. That's the first and only comedian that ever made me fall out of my seat. I fell on the floor and got back, was still laughing. So many years later, I meet him again in B. Smith's in New York City. Um, and, uh, you know, I approached him and it was a funny scenario. He uh, just cracked me up initially. Um, I was taking my mom out, so I sat down, ate and everything. And um, the next day, I'm talking to my cousin Giovanni, and he's like, oh, I'm going to meet Mooney in a minute for lunch. And I'm like, what? And I worked at the Embassy Suites at that time and later for a prince. At any rate, Mooney tell, he tells Mooney about me or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I met her last night. Bring her to the show. And the rest was history. I went to Caroline's uh, on Broadway. He was performing. And the rest was history. I never stopped going to the shows. Every time he was in town, I eventually started working with him. Um, <laughs> uh, man, it was just laughter beyond laughter and fun beyond fun every time. Um, I'm going to miss you, Mooney. Um, I promised you we discussed, you know, you getting your just due. Um, so unfortunate of the way things went and we weren't able to put, pull it together. But there will be a tribute to you. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to make sure you get your just due. Um, I love you. Um, you're still the godfather of comedy. Yes, that's also a concept I created. The godfather of comedy is Paul Mooney. He wrote for everybody. He created so much comedy. I'm talking about from the Richard Pryor show, uh, Sanford and Son, he wrote for everybody. Flip Wilson, Moms Mabley, uh, all the greats. And on the Richard Pryor show, he started lots of folks' careers that people don't even know. Robin Williams, John Witherspoon, Sandra Bernhardt, the list goes on. Everybody on the cast of, of the Richard Pryor show, he gave them their first break um, on that show. And he's done so much. The, you know, the Wayans Brothers show, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, shucks. Come on now. In Living Color. <laughs> but at any rate, 
I'm not going to go on. All I'm going to say is he was one of the greatest. He was my favorite comedian of all times. Um, he was the rawest. He was the militant comedian, basically. They felt he was militant. I thought he was hilarious. I didn't feel he was militant. I thought he was pretty fair. He snapped on all ethnicities, every single one. Didn't leave one out. Okay, and I loved him for it, and uh, I'm gonna miss you, Mooney. I'm gonna miss you. PM7 for life. PM7 International will represent for the rest of our days. Know that. I love you. Beautiful. Help me welcome to the stage, Miss Denise Williams. Somebody fix that for me, please. You can turn this around. Yes. How's everybody doing? Yeah. No, no, look, the mic's there. It's a pleasure to be here and to be a part of honoring Mr. Paul Mooney. I didn't have a lot of um, chances to be around him like others have, but we had one conversation, and that one conversation left such a mark on my mind about who he was and who we could be. And because of that, I'd like to sing this song for him and for you. Just how proud 
Denise has not sung in a year. And I'm telling you that instrument is magnificent. She was brilliant. Let her hear it once again. Miss Denise Williams. Lord have mercy on my soul. How many chickens have I sold? I'm telling you, at this time, I'm so deeply honored to bring this electric human being to this stage. He's brilliantly funny. We've known each other across three decades. He's the pride of Kansas City, Missouri. Would you please welcome Mr. Eddie Griffin, ladies and gentlemen. Well, now, since I've been here, I said, since I've been here, yeah, 
Everybody talking about Mr. Moonlight. Everybody talking about Mr. Moonlight. Now there's many stars, but only one moon. That's what the nigga used to say. I said there's many stars, but there's only one motherfucking moon. Night. Oh, hold on, homie. To say farewell to one Mr. Paul Mooney. Now, uh, he was dear to us all. Yeah, beyond dear. See, the nigga, see, I don't know why ain't nobody got up here and said nigga, because that was one of Paul's favorite words. Nigga, 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 turn his teeth turn white. I just said it today. Look how white my teeth is. Now, <laughs> Me and Paul, we went on tour one year. Well, we did it a few years, but, you know, we went on tour this one year. We had a show in Miami, California. Well, it was in Florida, actually. But the liquor's good. So anyway, we was in Miami, Florida, and it was one of them janky nigger production shits. And nigga, they had like 50 motherfucking meetings. The show started at 10 a.m., and me and Paul didn't go on to 9 p.m. And we kept telling nigga, you don't need this many motherfucking meetings. I'm trying to sell it out. Nigga, all you need is me and Paul's gonna sell the fuck out. So nigga, the motherfuckers, nigga, 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 it got to the end of the show, nigga, and Paul went up. And I said, I ain't going on, they ain't gave us our money yet. Paul said, homie, I'ma go on, and I'ma keep the crowd busy. You get our money. <laughs> and I got our money. And nigga, I said, Paul, don't go back to the hotel. I sent my nigga, give him the keys, nigga, let him get your shit out the room, meet me at the airport. Because these are the kind of niggas that come back and steal their money back from us. <laughs> oh, I'm a sharp nigga. I said, nigga, give me the shit. Nigga, we sat at the airport the motherfucker the next morning. The flight wasn't until the next morning. We sat in the airport cracking up. Oh, homie, I'm telling everybody, Eddie Griffin is a nigga for real. <laughs> I remember we did this concert to say Marla, Marla Gibbs Memory Lane. Y'all remember the theater down there? Remember you was at there? This, this nigga used to play in my band, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Scattered Thoughts, nigga. Yeah, one time, nigga, one time. Uh. Shit, two times. Nah, y'all slowing the motherfucker. I said two times. <laughs> nigga, it's only uh, uh, two times. God damn, I am. Uh, uh, so we we did this show to save Marla Gibbs' memory lane, man, and uh, you know, uh, my that's the show I did with the band. I did an hour stand up and an hour with comedy, right? And Norm Nixon was there, nigga, because Norm was in on the shit, nigga, putting the money up to save, nigga. And we made the money. We saved Marla Gibbs' memory lane. Me, Paul Money, we did that. I don't know if niggas still own it today, but we did it then. I miss Paul immensely. That nigga had a smile that could light up a motherfucking room. 
Yeah, man. And that lab, nigga. One of a kind. You knew when he was in the audience, nigga, you know what Yeah! I'm like, what the fuck? That must be Mooney, goddammit. Oh, homie. That nigga could take a drink like nobody else. Oh, homie. I said, this is the bougiest nigga I ever seen. I mean, the nigga was refined. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Huh. Nigga, his, his beautiful twin sons is here, them ancient looking niggas. And Paul used to call them that too. He said, them niggas look older than me, nigga. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Spike Lee for giving us a coronavirus update. <laughs> I said, this nigga up here updating corona, nigga. 600,000 people have died. It's more than any war. Don't nobody give a fuck about that shit, Spike. This ain't no motherfucking infomercial for no goddamn plan. Damn it, they playing this shit. Fuck it. <laughs> oh, it's about to get real in this motherfucker. Anyway, uh, look at him. Uh, that's all I wanted to say is that, uh, Spike, we appreciate you. Uh, you a great filmmaker, but nigga, <laughs> speeches ain't your thing. <laughs> God damn, this is a memorial. This is a celebration of a nigga's life. This nigga up here talking about 600,000 dead and still more dying. Keep a mask on your face. <laughs> oh, Spike, you know I'm fucking with you. I had to fuck with you, nigga. God damn. Uh. <laughs> Uh, look at here, to, to, to the Mooney family and all his beautiful children and, uh, you know, his wives and things, you know. I, I, I love him, man. I, I love y'all. I thank y'all for having me. I appreciate you. Good night. Eddie Griffin, let him hear it. Eddie Griffin. Our next presentation is from Mr. Steve Harvey. Steve was one of the great contributors to this afternoon, but unfortunately there's some technical difficulties with the video component of his presentation. So I'd like to, all of us to gather and listen for three minutes to the audio presentation from Mr. Steve Harvey. Thank you all for asking me to do this. Um, I send out, first of all, my condolences to the entire Mooney family. Uh, when I think about Paul Mooney, I think purely in terms of legendary status, uh, I'm not sure if people really understand how great this man really was and how influential he was in the comedy game. If you are in this business currently today, you may not know it, but you've been influenced by the great Paul Mooney. I know I started in 85. I was directly influenced by him because, I mean, he wrote for so many of the greats. I mean, you can't 
Flip was influenced by him. The great Richard Pryor was influenced by him. Everybody, man. And so those of us that got in the business in the 80s, I mean, we was in the business because of Pryor. Pryor was who he was because of Paul Moody to a great part. You know, this dude was that guy. He was the dude. I never met a person who was more courageous on stage, who said more things that all of us wanted to say, but for whatever the reason, we couldn't say it. You know, you can say sponsorship. You can say you got a TV career. You got this going on. But to be honest with you, I mean, I just I just think we didn't have the same courage he had. This dude was flat out unbelievable. My my fondest memory uh, with Paul was uh, this guy named Frazier was throwing, trying to start the beginning of African-American humor awards. And he threw the first one at the Hollywood Casino. And I was hosting it with him, and I introduced Paul Mooney. It was the daytime on a Sunday, and there was a lot of pastors in the audience with their wives. And I introduced Paul, and it was right about the time when O.J. Simpson uh, had just been charged, you know, and he had just finished driving up the highway in the Bronco. Paul Mooney went on stage and started doing humor about it. I'm talking about one of the first people I heard doing anything about it. And... Uh, one of the pastor's wives stood up and said, this is so inappropriate. And Paul Mooney, in atypical Paul Mooney style, said, I haven't even gotten to the inappropriate part yet. And I was in the floor, and he looked at me the entire time. And I mean, he went in. He went in so hard that eventually everybody in the audience was screaming, laughing. Man, I'm just one of the greatest, gutsiest performances I've ever seen, man in a place where it just shouldn't have been. And when I tell you inappropriate, it was all of that. But he had that type of courage, man. And after the show, he said, I, I just locked in on you, Steve. I just locked in on you because I, I, I needed you. you. You just kept me alive. And that brother right there had that type of energy. So I'm going to say this. If you are in this business, you owe a debt of gratitude to Paul Mooney because Paul Mooney had an influence on you, whether you know it or not. He was that dude. Paul Mooney was that dude. A living legend for sure. And I really, really thank y'all for allowing me to say that, man. Paul Mooney, one of the greats. And now a video from Robert Townsend. Uh, first, let me just say thank you so much for um, allowing me to say a few words about Mr. Paul Mooney. Uh, so let me begin. <laughs> um, when I first moved to L.A., Keenan Ivory Wayne said, Hey, Rob, we got to go to the comedy store. There's this comedian you got to see. He's absolutely brilliant. He goes on at uh, 1230. So I'm like, if this cat is so brilliant, why is he going on at 1230 at night? And Keenan's like, Rob, shut up, shut up, shut up. Let's go to the comedy store. We get to the comedy store. We go to the original room. And uh, Paul goes on. And I had never seen anybody like him before in my life. He spoke an authentic truth. He made people uncomfortable, but he made us think. And I just remember watching all these people walking out like, damn, white people was walking out left and right. And then Paul was like, leave, leave. I've given my nigger friends enough time to break into your houses. Leave. <laughs> And I was like, something happened that night. It was like 
my brain was rewired in a weird kind of beautiful way that opened my brain up. And so after the show was over with, Keenan said, you know, you want to meet him? I said, yeah, I want to meet him. And so we go, you know, you know, back he comes out, you know, and we meet and then he goes, this is my friend Rob, you know, Townsend, he's coming to Hollywood, you know. And then Paul was like, just what we need, another nigga with dreams in Hollywood. Hi, nigga. And then he walked out. And then uh, years later, I'm in Hollywood and, I, and I'm starting to, you know, go through it as an artist and I decide I'm going to make my own movies. And uh, uh, a lot of people said no to me and so then I go to Paul and I ask him, I said, would you be in my first movie? It's about a black actor in Hollywood. And then Paul says, have you ever written before? No. Have you ever directed a movie before? No. Uh, have you ever produced a movie before? No. Either you're the dumbest nigga I've ever met or you're a genius. Yes, I'm in. And uh, then he says, you know, I want to play the president of the NAACP. I want to give these niggas a nigga wake-up call. You know, we won't play the, the Rambos until we stop playing the Sambos. The movie was Hollywood Shuffle. It became a big hit. And then HBO offered me my first comedy special. And I wanted it to be a real variety show. And so I said, I'm going to have all these comedians. I got Don Reed. I got Franklin. I, it was Damon's first time. And then I asked Paul to close the show. And this was the most beautiful moment because I said, you know, Mr. Mooney, would you close my comedy show? And he looked at me. But the look he had was a look that he wanted to protect me because he's like, you know, nigga, you're PG-13. I'm on that edge, edge, edge shit. And I was like, nah, man. Nah, you've opened my brain up. I need the world to know who you are. And then he was like, either you're the dumbest nigga I've ever met or you're a genius. Yes. And so then I tell HBO, and then HBO is like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Paul Mooney uh, from the comedy late night, uh, Paul, I said, yes. Robert, uh, I, I said, no, no, no. This is my show. And I want him to close the show. And Paul turned it out. I think part of the reason I exist is that he laid the groundwork. He was fearless. He was that fearless, outspoken voice that I had never heard and that the world needed to hear. So, let me just say this. Uh, <sighs> Paul would always say, there's many stars in Hollywood, but there's only one moon and it was truly only one moon. I will miss you. I love you, you crazy, brilliant motherfucker. Out. Ladies and gentlemen, now a word from Chris Tucker. What's up, everybody? I want to send my love and condolences to a Mr. Paul Mooney.
the funniest man in the world. Oh, man, I remember late nights in the comedy clubs. He will give every other comedian a master class on how to do it. Fearless. Oh, my God. And hilariously funny. The great Paul Mooney. If it wasn't for Paul Mooney, it wouldn't be no Richard Pryor. If it wasn't for Richard Pryor and Paul Mooney, it wouldn't be none of the comedians that came behind them. We owe so much gratitude to him. And my love goes out to his family, to his kids. We love you. Thank you for letting us have Mr. Mooney for a little while. Homie. All right, y'all. How about another round of applause for Mr. Paul Mooney, y'all? Give it up. <laughs> he touched us all. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Jonathan's going to tune up right quick, and while he's doing that, I'm going to keep y'all busy. Is everybody having a good time? We in a celebration mode? You know, this isn't the funeral, as I've been told, as we all know. This is a celebration. And, you know, I'm up here in this musical director capacity, and I'm used to being quiet, but I'm not really that kind of quiet dude. I guess you're about to find out. But anyway, again, uh, all of these performers who are bringing you music today, uh, they're friends of mine. I've worked with them, and I've intentionally, you know, not tried to tell you their history, that you all know who they are. You want a little? Okay, almost. I didn't introduce you yet, so let me do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that being said, this is another one who I uh, reached out to to come and join me. The two of us had an opportunity to do a DVD. I did his DVD in 2005 in South Africa, and so I hadn't seen him. done this in maybe 12 years got the last time we played together and uh, so anyway I'm looking forward welcome to the stage all mr. Jonathan Butler Ready?
I'm from South Africa, so my first introduction to Paul Mooney was with Richard Pryor when I was watching. Can you just give us a little bit of falling in love with Jesus? I know you. Okay. Just you start. What I want to say, I was uh, introduced to Paul Mooney just through watching all the videos in South Africa. So I'm glad to be here today to celebrate such an incredible man with you today. Thank you. Can I sing a little bit of Falling in yeah, Love with go Jesus? Ahead. Go ahead, please. I wrote this a long time ago, and uh, just I, th I think it's an A. I think it's an A. Falling in love with 
Jesus Falling in love With Jesus Falling in love With Jesus What's the best thing that I, 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 I ever done? Oh, it is all ours. I feel so protected in his arms. I'm never disconnected. Oh. In his arms I, I feel protected There's no place that I would rather, rather, rather be I'll sing a little bit more kingdoms may all pass away but there's something about that name it's like the fragrance after the rain there's something about that name ladies and gentlemen Jonathan Butler let him hear it Jonathan in the great tradition of Hugh Masakela Lete Mbulu Kaifa Samena and the great Miriam Makiba, 
this gigantic son of Kopstad, Cape Town, South Africa. Let him hear it. Jonathan Butler, ladies and gentlemen. Let's fix our eyes on the next video, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. I so wish I could be there with all of you today to celebrate Paul Mooney, someone who we all love. And I thank you for allowing me to share a few words about my friend and his extraordinary life. Paul Mooney's passing leaves a great hole in the comedy community. Paul was a genius. He was a genius who was not only a gifted writer, but responsible for influencing and having a hand in the careers of famous comedians from Richard Pryor to Dave Chappelle. Paul Mooney was also the freest human being on earth. He said what he thought, he said it wherever he was, and he did not care who liked it, who didn't, or who he offended. He was true to his creative and brilliant thinking and had a withering way of describing things, events, places, and people, his friends and enemies alike. But he was always kind to me. He never called me out. He never made me the subject of his comedy. And I was so grateful for that because whenever I was in his presence, and especially when he was on stage, I was never sure if he was going to spare me. And that's because if you know Paul, you know that Paul Mooney didn't just tell jokes, he told stories, he told hard truths. Paul Mooney used his talent to both make you laugh and make a point, forcing people to sit with their own discomfort. Paul Mooney's undeniable talent was to entertain but Paul Mooney's blistering, brave, and bold brand of comedy also gave us an honest depiction of ourselves. And through it, he dared us to be better people. This was on full display. And he was at his best when he joked about race, racism, and discrimination. His critiques both rocked people to their very core as much as it made them erupt into laughter. That was his way, turning his brilliant command of words and observations into astute commentary that made us laugh until we hurt, until our collective pain left our bodies. Some people might have mistaken Paul Mooney's commentary as defiant and even difficult, but really it is what I would describe as dauntless and determined. His goal wasn't to inflict harm, it was to expose it. He punched up, not down. I can recall when there was a debate about the N-word. As anyone familiar with Paul Mooney would know, he used the N-word throughout his comedy, including his most well-known comedic bits. But I and Jesse Jackson and some others have been encouraging him to stop using the word. He finally agreed and did something quite unusual for him. He stopped using the N-word. He understood that many people felt so much harm from it. So Paul Mooney leaves records, and I mean literal records, behind to remind us of the indelible imprint he made on American culture. If we are to remember Paul Mooney in the way that he would want, I can only guess 
based on his extraordinary legacy that is this. One, invest in other people. Per his own words, Paul Mooney enjoyed seeing other comedians who he nurtured and succeeded. I have no doubt this will play a part in his legacy, living on for generations to come. Number two, laugh a little. It truly is the best medicine, even when it tastes a little bitter. And third, make a little mischief, but find a way using your own brand of talent and creativity to do so. History will remember Paul Mooney as the godfather of comedy, a jokester and a truth teller. I'm so thankful for not only the laughs that he gifted us, but also for the friendship we shared and the lessons that he left for all of us to live by. He is truly going to be missed. I know I'm going to miss him. Thank you so very much. Lovely, lovely Auntie Maxine Waters. Let her hear it, even from afar. I'm honored to introduce this next troika. They represent some of Mooney's comedy offspring. Would you please welcome to this stage Mr. Chris Spencer, Miss Tiffany Haddish, and Mr. Joe Torre, ladies and gentlemen. How are you guys doing? How you doing? How you doing? You have a mic for Joe? No. Oh, what is I mean, we can just stand a little distance. I, I don't okay. have to project. I'm sorry. She got a Grammy. She knows I'm known for being loud. Over there. Paul used to tell me that. You're loud for no goddamn reason. We'll, we'll be the pips. We'll be the pips. You come over here, we'll be the pips. First thing I want to say, where's Shane at? Shane, nigga, how mad would your dad have been to know these two white dudes went back to back at his funeral? Who are those crackers speaking at my funeral? Yes, he would have did that. Wait, tell him, this, tell him what he told you about Guy. Oh, no, for, uh, for well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, unapologetic, you know how Paul was. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, we ran together for years, years, years. You know, uh, he spent in New York, just getting with him, learning from the masters. He was one of my mentors. But he used to always tell me when my brother Guy, you know, came to L.A. And he was like, oh, uh, Joe, you got to watch your brother. He's got the Belushi complex. He's waiting on you to die. He wants your career. He's going to, trust me, trust me, homie, trust me. And I used to be like, what do you mean by that? He's like, trust me, uh, 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 your brother. He's got that look in his eye. He's waiting on you to die. And then as I started coming up to the comedy club constantly, I was he was like, yo, yo little, you back here again, little bitch? Oh, you really want, you really want to suffer, don't you, little bitch? And I'm like, I don't want to suffer. I just really enjoy doing what I do. He was like, whoa. Well, you know you loud as hell for no goddamn reason. Right? And I'm like, 
No, I just want to make sure everybody can hear me. I come from theater, and I tell him about like all the trophies I would win in these drama competitions. And he was like, "That shit don't matter in Hollywood. That shit doesn't matter. None of that matters. People gotta want to come to see it." And then I would, he would watch my set, and he would, I would come off stage, and he'd be like, "You only said two funny things tonight. You're not gonna make it, little bitch. You're not gonna make it. You gotta write more. You need to write more." <laughs> and then, then I was homeless, and I was trying to hide that I was homeless. And I don't know who the fuck told him, but somebody told him I was homeless. And he came, come here, bitch, come here, come here. And I came over here. He was like, yeah. So, uh, you're homeless. I said, I got my Geo Metro. I'm doing okay. I'm in my Geo Metro. He said, no, 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 you're homeless. Now I got a sister just had some kids. She needs a babysitter. You need a roof over your head. You move in her house, you take care of them kids, you got a roof over your head. And I said, oh man, that's that's cool. Um, where, where's the house? Like, what, what does it matter? It's a house over your head. It's a roof. And I was like, but how many kids is it? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if I want to do that, I would just get pregnant, Paul. I mean, I don't know. He was like, I thought you needed a roof over your head. I said, I got a Geo Metro roof over my head, bro. I'm, I'm good. He was like, are you arguing with me? I said, are you trying to put me in a situation that I want to be in? And then we went back and forth, and he was like, shut the fuck up. And I was like, okay. And then a few days later, I ran into Kevin, and he gave me better options. <laughs> and I didn't want to be a babysitter. I didn't want to be a babysitter. And it's funny because then I got married and I was married to a man that had kids and then Paul met him and then Paul said, I thought your ass didn't want to be no goddamn babysitter. <laughs> I was like, but he, he loved me. He was like, mm, good luck, nigga. <laughs> he was like, yeah, he said some things. I ain't even going to share that because we still got a case. <laughs> but um, he was right. That's all I'm going to say. Paul was right. Um, Paul was right. And, and then as I started to progress and started doing big things, Paul was very proud of me. He was like, little bitch, you did it. You did it. You did it, little bitch. And I was like, you know, Paul, you're the only man that called me bitch that I don't want to punch in the face. Because you my grandfather. You really, you really, you really my grandfather. Um, I miss him. I'm going to miss him terribly. Uh, I'm going to miss uh, running jokes by him and him telling me that shit's not funny. <laughs> Nigga, what are you doing? Once I started making money, I became a nigga. So I'm, I'm proud. You went from bitch to nigga. Yeah, I went from bitch to nigga. Bitch to nigga. And I'm proud. Uh, but I'm going to miss him terribly. And his sons, you know, every chance I got, I thought if I had put them on my comedy shows, it would draw us closer. But he got mad at me about that for a little bit. But we cool. But um, I love his sons because uh, they, they, they show me a lot. They show me a lot. And um, I put them in a couple of movies that I did with um, Walmart. And those movies didn't go nowhere. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> like he said it would be. That's what he said when I did it. He said, no, that shit's going to be horrible. <laughs> uh, facts. Just speaking facts. And, and he always told me he was proud of me for being all, as genuine and as fearless as I am and always speaking my truth. And he's like, never be afraid to speak your mind. You might not get no job for a long time, but at least you have your truth out there. Truth. So, and that's what I do. That's what Thank I you, Paula. There you go. I Tiffany Haddish, y'all. That's one thing you always say, speak your truth. Speak your truth, y'all.
No, uh, I kind of got introduced to Paul kind of the same way Keenan introduced Robert. Damon introduced me, and he's like, have you ever seen Paul Mooney? I was like, no, what's a, what's a Paul Mooney? He says, oh, nigga, come to the show. So we went to the comedy store, and I was watching this guy perform and say things I wish I would say. I wish I would write. And he says, that's not the good part. Watch how he clears the room of the white people. <laughs> <laughs> and you would see white people, it was like red like green, like they were trying to figure out, can they, how can they sneak out the room without Paul Mooney seeing them? And they, oh, run little cracker, run, run your little white ass. And it was the fucking most, for comedians, it was the most entertaining shit to watch him run white people out the room. And But then it would shock me after when he would hold his white girlfriend's hand and say, let's go, baby. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, is that, is that Lori, is that Lori Petty? Who the fuck is Paul Mooney? Oh, is that, is that too secretive? Sorry. Hey, Paul taught me to be fearless, even at his funeral. Paul, we love you. We love you immensely. Love Thank you, you. Hey, listen, listen. To a legend that taught fearlessness to all of us. Toast to Paul Mooney, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate y'all coming, sharing that honesty, leaving it all on the stage. Next performer, you all know very well. was a time when we used to really spend a lot of time hanging out doing music and just having fun. I used to call them my twin or we used to call each other twins. She doesn't need an introduction. But I'm going to give it one anyway. Put your hands together, y'all. Welcome to the stage, Shaka Khan. 
Chaka Khan. Hi. Well, baby. How y'all doing? I loved Paul. He came, I tell you, every gig I did, this side of the country he was at, he'd call and say, give me eight tickets. I'd say, no, Paul, darling, you can't have eight. <laughs> but, um, he, was a, he was a giant. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. He and Dick Gregory were the two giants of uh, comedians that we had. One in my time, anyway. So I'm just gonna sing this little tribute to someone I love. I haven't sung in a year and a half.
Washington, D.C. Well, I see this lady sitting at table two. And like Paul Mooney, she made the peripatetic journey from the south to northern California. Paul came out of Louisiana to northern California. She came out of Arkansas to northern California. She is funny beyond measure. And she's an exquisite human being. Would you please welcome to this stage, Lunell, would you please come on here? Let her hear it. It's a long walk. She's got a long walk. Lunell, I'll just say her name repeatedly. Lunell. Lunell. Here she is. Please welcome Lunell to this microphone. What can I say about my friend, Paul Mooney? He was everything to me. We both came from the streets of Oakland, California. <laughs> Town biz. And um, he taught me so much. Uh, I have the name the original Bad Girl of Comedy and um, always encouraged that. He never, when people were telling me to change or to pipe down or to not be so brash, Paul would be, fuck them. Fuck them all. You just do what you do, Ludell. Continue to be you. Paul and I traveled together. We slept in the same room. Um, he encouraged me like nobody else ever has. Um, I'm playing Caroline's in New York City in Times Square in about 
four weeks, Paul was the first one to put me on that stage when they wouldn't even fuck with me. We, we're not in church, right? This is Roosevelt, so I can cuss, I can cuss if I want to. He, uh, I always snuck him food because he was a foodie. And when he wasn't supposed to have it, I snuck it to him anyway. Uh, he and I and Dick Gregory did several, several dates together all through Atlanta. And um, I will not say goodbye to Paul today because his memory is so burned into my soul. And in my, am I having a stroke or is that light flicking? Does anybody else see that shit or is it just me? Oh, we might be doing a double service up in here today. I'm so... Flicking. Um, I flew in from Atlanta just now. I'm leaving out again in five hours. I flew here because I would not miss my chance to express my love for the man who meant so much to me. Um, he used to use this phrase, he said, familiarity breeds contempt. The more they know you, the more they hate on you. Because in all actuality, I'm gonna have some really shitty shit to say about the motherfuckers that Paul has helped who are not in this room today. Yeah, they're they going to hear from me, because like Paul, I don't give a shit. Um, he was so smart, and every time he did comedy, uh, you learned something. It was like going to a master class every time you listened to him. He was really for us. He was really for us. And even though he had extensive dealings with white folks, he really didn't give a shit about them either. Because um, I have seen Paul walk a many a white couple out the room. When he was recording Race, I was there. When he was recording Masterpiece, I was there. When he was calling, recording Jesus Black and So is Cleopatra, I was there. And um, I I just, it's gonna be a different world without Paul Mooney. All through the quarantine and all through the insurrection, all I kept hearing was people saying, God, I wish Paul would say something about this. God, I wish Paul would, would be able to say something about this. He was the person that we listened to when the shit was going down. What would Paul say? So I just wanna to say to the family, and everybody that knows how much I loved and will continue to love him, thank you for including me. Thank you for recognizing that my love is real. Thank you for uh, offering him up to the world. I know as kids you've had to sacrifice just like my child has had to sacrifice. And that's what happens when your, your parent belongs to the world. And. Um, you know, I was with Dave Chappelle a couple of weeks ago. I had on this very shirt and we sat and talked and uh, he made such an influence on the people who make a difference. You know, he will not be forgotten and I hope that 
when you really need a uh, word of knowledge, when you really need to hear what the truth sounds like, um, you know, I still have some cassette tapes. I, I got them from an auction because I wasn't alive when cassettes were. But um, I, I listen to them. I keep, I keep, I keep race at the foot of my bed in an old cassette player and I just push it sometime when I want to hear that old gruff voice. Um, it's very, very, very <laughs> hard to say goodbye, so I won't. So I just want you guys to know that um, I love Paul Mooney. I will continue to love Paul Mooney. And in the loudmouth, brash way that he did, I will continue to carry on his legacy through my comedy and for the world. So thank you guys. Let her hear it, Lunell, ladies and gentlemen. Let her hear it. I'm so very, very honored to look on this great daughter of Houston, Texas. She is a magnificent human being, a multi-dimensional artist, she is an exquisite mother, wife, grandmother. She can cook like nobody's business. And most recently, in a great celebration of the breadth of her life and career, she is a Kennedy Center honoree. Would you please welcome to this stage my friend, faithful and just, Miss Debbie Allen, ladies and gentlemen. Let her hear it. Debbie Allen, let her hear it. Here she is, Debbie Allen, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Ren. Hi, I am just um, happy that I was able to be here to add my voice, my presence, my love and my light in tribute to Mr. Paul Mooney. All right, y'all, organize this. All right, Paul, I'm not gonna be a bitch long. Okay, Paul, he's saying it right now. Bitch, you're not funny, get the fuck off the stage. Okay. Paul was my dear friend who, uh, we became friends when I was doing uh, Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, with Richard Pryor. Paul was there every day and uh, that famous scene where I, Richard killed my car, Paul was feeding me lines right there on the spot. Say, holla security, holla. This is a crazy motherfucker. Motherfucker's killing my car. He was giving me all these things to say. And I said it, honey, with glee. I haven't been able to say those words in public since, but we all are here to honor Paul. Paul was, I think, one of the greatest social activists of our time. He was one of the greatest political analysts of our time. And yes, he did it with comedy, but he did it with truth, and he did it without fear. He was never afraid to say and call out whatever it was. I don't know if he was talking about the queen and how ugly she was, or if it was talking about uh, Elizabeth Taylor, 
that she was a freak of nature because she was beautiful, but she was English. He, he would say anything, and he was so politically correct. Not incorrect, he was correct. He, he never let us forget. There's a great book called Lest We Forget that has testimonials about some of the elders that lived through slavery that actually got to talk about it before they were gone. But Paul continued to weigh on our minds and hearts, lest we forget. He always talked from that point of view of slave mentality and the plantation. And it's something that we need to, to wear. It's not something we can forget. We cannot afford to forget. And we have to be thinking about it right now. And, you know, Paul left us a legacy. And, and he's the architect of so many of the great ones, from Red Fox, Richard, Eddie, inspiration to Dave Chappelle, the Wayans, uh, the list is so long. Um, we were personal friends, and I will never forget one of the most adorable moments in my family was when my son Thump, who's now a comedian and, and does music, he, he said when he was little, with my husband, Norman Nixon, the NBA All-Star, listening. He said, he said, his father was trying to tell him, you want to do this, you want to do that? And he said, I want to be Paul Mooney when I grow up. He was only maybe four years old, but it was, it was very telling, the impression that Paul had on a young black man. And so I feel fortunate that Paul is a part of my life. I say is because you can never take it away. He's right there in my ear I, on Arsenio telling the world I was Puerto Rican. God damn it, I want to strangle his ass. I want to choke him. Or the time, he spent so much time in my house. We were friends. I remember when Paul picked me up one time to go with him and it looked like it looked like Jurassic Park had taken a bite out of his car. There was a hole and he had, that was a hole in the car. And he was we laughed the whole time. We never stopped laughing. We never stopped laughing. We never stopped loving each other. And so that's what this is about right now is our love for Paul Mooney and he will live forever. He will live in our hearts. He, we have all that we can see. And I am um, just grateful that he has been a part of my life. He, he left my husband with a nickname that I will share with you publicly. Uh, one, uh, one of the best birthday gifts I gave my husband was a beautiful white baby grand piano. And he took lessons, he can play, it's what he does. Paul was over there to dinner, heard Norman play, said, oh, Nigarachi. Okay. Thank you. Debbie knows how to finish, ladies and gentlemen. She knew how to close. Debbie Allen, ladies and gentlemen, let her hear it. At this time, I'd like to bring to the stage for the reading of the obituary, a woman who's been so germane to the success of getting Paul's name recognized with the kind of reverence it deserves. She was his publicist, 
and I'd like her to come to the stage at this time. Would you please welcome Miss Cassandra Williams? Ninety percent of everybody in here knows me. I give me a little bit more than that. When Spring said, you can go ahead and read the obituary, it was in lieu of me not singing. Y'all go ahead and laugh. Paul always said, you're good to publicists, but darling, you cannot sing. But you guys got a treat today. My daughter, Miss Cece, rang open the show today. I just want to say one thing before I read the obituary. Our company, Wet PR, here in Beverly Hills, had the privilege of handling a lot of uh, Paul's press and media. We uh, had a meeting with Paul not too long ago before he got sick. And he said, the name of your company, Wet. You write it, you edit, and then you tell it. Say it with me, Wet, we write it. I can't hear you, we write it, we edit, and then we tell it. But according to Mr. Mooney, he said, darling, I want you to change your company name. He said, with me as a client, you will never have to edit anything. Now I'll read the obituary. Paul Gladly was welcoming to the, y'all can't hear me if y'all laughing. Paul Gladney was welcoming to this world on August 4th, 1941 in Shreveport, Louisiana. He was raised largely by his grandmother in Oakland, California. As a teen, he competed in dance contests and eventually performed on television show, Dance Party. It was a California alternative to American Bandstand. Paul graduated from Berkeley High School, Berkeley High School, not Beverly Hills High School, and later served in the Army and joined Caddy Charles Circus after seeing a help wanted ad for a ringmaster. Paul married Yvonne Carruthers, an actress known for her role in Which Ways Up. Yvonne also did a spot of modeling in her career, establishing a name for herself in the 70s. While married, Paul and Yvonne successfully brought forth children. Simeon, who passed away in 2001, Shane and Spring Mooney, who were all active in their father's lives, and stood by his side for many, many years. It is to be noted that Tony Leonard is the mother of Dwayne and Daryl Mooney, affectionately known as the Mooney Twins. Paul also had a, has a daughter by the name of Elisa Marie Swartz, who maintains strong ties with her Mooney family and is here today. Paul played an integral part in the life of renowned actor Richard Pryor. 
Paul composed many routines Richard performed in. Beyond that, he left his mark on Pryor's legacy by taking on the role as head writer of the fan favorite, The Richard Pryor Show. He also served as the head writer for the show in living color and created the character, Homie D. Clown. In 1975, a new sketch comedy, which was then known as Saturday Night, was reaching the midway point of the first season on NBC. It was Paul Mooney who wrote the episode with Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase that put SNL on the map. He also became known as a member of the Black Pack, a comedy clique that included Robert Townsend, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, and Keenan Ivory Wayans. In 2006, Paul made headlines when he renounced the N-word after fellow comedians' racist outbursts at a famous comedy venue in Hollywood. Never one to rest on his laurels, Paul continued to entertain nationwide under the watchful care of his cousins, Rudy Ely and Carolyn Hines, even though at times his health would not permit it. Paul was one of the first black comedians accepted into the Writers Guild and is often cited as one of the godfathers of comedy. His comedian endeavors have gone down in history, substantiating his own legacy then and now, thus showing new age comedians how it's really done. Paul Mooney is preceded in death by his father, George Gladney, his mother, Lavolia Baker, his son, Simeon Mooney, and grandparents, Preston and Sarah Ely. He leaves to cherish his memory, Yvonne Marie, his brother, Ronald Fleming, wife, Gwen, sons, Daryl and Dwayne, the Mooney twins, son, Shane Mooney, daughter, Elisa Marie Swartz, and Spring S. Mooney. Grandchildren, nieces, nephews, cousins, aunts, uncle, and a host of family and friends, extended family that will love and cherish his legacy forever. Mr. Paul Mooney, thank you. Thank you for allowing Wet PR to write it. Don't edit it, but we telling it. Good night. I talk about subjects that we should talk about with each other and that we should be open and we should discuss each other. We need laughter on our plate. Everybody does. I'm concerned with now and the future. I'm at my happiness when I'm on that stage. The audience can feel it. It's the truth. He was too black for Hollywood. Yes. He was just too black. Too it was black. like they weren't ready for that level of blackness coming through the comedy scene. So that's why he did not become mainstream because it was too radical. 
for Hollywood to present as a commercial product. Not only was he too black for Hollywood, he was too handsome for Hollywood. Yeah. Billy D. Williams told Paul Mooney, if I had your looks, I would have been a bigger star. They used to always right. call our father the black Paul Newman. And our father would okay. say, no, he's the white Paul Mooney. I'd like to introduce some people uh, that work on the show. Richard allowed me to go out and find the talent. No one had to audition. Tim Reeves, Marsha Warfield. Uh, Robin Williams. Sandra Bernhardt. Uh, Detroit, John Witherspoon. Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney gave so many people their first break through the Richard Pryor show. Paul Mooney gave me the first scene I ever did on TV one-on-one -on -one with Richard Pryor. Throughout my career, Paul has been a constant and has always been a champion. He's one of the most brilliant writers. He does something that nobody else has ever done that I've worked with, and that's that he listens to you and gives you back what you said in a way that you didn't hear when you said it and makes it funny and makes it work and it's a it's a talent and a genius that really is is underrated please give it up for the one and only mr paul mooney thank you Wonderful. Long overdue, but wonderful. But I actually think that the whole hip-hop, all of this, is a backlash from the civil rights movement and from the movement. We never followed that through. We were supposed to be free, and this, this dream never came true. And I think the kids are defying, they're, they're angry about it, mm -hmm. that we didn't Here's make that. it the way it should be. He's probably one of the most successful comedians, and he's certainly one of the most influential of his generation. He prides himself on tackling the issues that other people won't touch. You can't mix black light up with Mexican. It's not the same. The Mexicans volunteered to come here to work for a quarter. We were forced to come here to work for free. Underline the free. Underline the free for 500 fucking years. Free. So if black people choose to sit on their ass, so be it. And it was just such a joy to watch him, man, because I, I felt he, he was saying things that so many people wanted to say but were afraid to say. And I'm supposed to be happy because we got one black president. One? I'm not excited. White folks are going 43. Give me 43 black ones, and then I'll get excited. It's not about being dead. It's about the reality of it. If we're going to talk reality, let's talk reality. Okay. Why should I get excited? One black president, I'm supposed to be overthrilled. I'm not thrilled. White folks have 43. And vice, if I get a black vice president, a black everything, then I'll get excited. But until okay. then, I'm not going to get excited. Because what goes around comes around. You can have all that, but I can't. Okay. okay. Like, yeah, you, you can wear Nikes, but I can't wear them. And if I wear them, I'm supposed to be excited now because you kept them from me. No, it doesn't work that way with me. I'm not impressed. I'm, I'm waiting all the time. You have a black president. So? So it's one. 
Okay. No big deal to me. Okay. Well, I think the kids called it even Steven. Paul Mooney. <laughs> oh, homie. Oh, homie. It's all about that, homie. It's all about that. No, uh, Paul Mooney, I got to say this, you know, when I think in terms of the Black Pack and us starting out, the man who really schooled us a lot early on as young comedians was Paul Mooney, who would sit with us. And, you know, Paul had written on all the shows, and, you know, and he would just take time to talk game, you know. I just remember me and Keenan just young, you know, and like, yeah, so how do you get into, how do you do, you know, you're just young and you're hungry for questions. And Paul Mooney would always take time for us, you know, and he was in my first Partners in Crime. He was in Hollywood Shuffle, the president of the NAACP. And I say that as long as black actors play these roles, they'll never play the Rambos until they stop playing the Sambos. I said, you have to find your center, and whatever you think about yourself is what the audience think. I said, so you're beautiful. You know you're beautiful. Get up there and do it. Everybody wants to be thin. I said, sure they're going to flip for you when they get a hold of you in New York. And all, everything I told her came to pass. I said, they are going to be so much in love with you, you'll be the hottest thing going. That's the one thing that frightens white people is unity between blacks. They don't want to say anything in common because we like what the favorite dance step is. We can spread that quickly. We all dance the same. It has variations throughout the states, but it's all the same. same. And if we ever communicate the way we do when we dance, we'll be a problem in America. It's time. Who came up with the concept of Homie the Clown? The character was inspired by Paul Mooney, because Mooney was like the angriest writer up in in living color. Right? Yeah. And he would break their face all the time and keep going, no, homie, I don't think so. <laughs> we want you guys to finish. I don't think so. <laughs> so they wrote this sketch about this clown, and, and then, you know, I, I did the rest. You know, when I was around the comedy store, I was basically the host of the comedy store, when I emceed, you know. The first time I was at the comedy store, uh, Paul Mooney and them, they gave me the light because I was going on. I just kept going. I hadn't met Paul Mooney yet. And Richard would come in. I'd look at the back of Richard Pryor's in the back. I'd say, how you doing, hey, Richard? How you doing? He knew Paul Mooney. Mooney was, and, and David Banks, all these, anytime you got all these guys at the comedy store, Richard wanted to do another album. And I was like, first year SNL, and I was killing. And I was like, they're giving me the light? And I was only there for like 10 minutes. And I said, who's who's, who's supposed to be coming on? And they said, Paul Mooney. And I said, who's Paul Mooney? And they said, yeah. I said, you want to see me or Paul Mooney? And I said, ah. So I did like another hour or something. So when I came off the stage, they were like crazy. I go to the door. If they have a problem, I go to the door and settle the problem. Just being polite and stuff. Spoon Witherspoon was in by the bathroom at the comedy store. And he said, next time they told you to get off that stage, you better get off that stage. I said, man, you. He said, you mama too. And we went outside the parking lot. Then Mooney came walking up. And he's like, uh, excuse me, homie. Uh, yes, you have a routine about uh the Amityville Horror about a ghost in the house. And I was like, yes. He said, well, I have a routine that's very similar. Like, Let me hear your routine, homie. And I was like, I'm not doing my routine in the parking lot. And he said, you. And I was with John Land. He said, he said, and he said, you too, white man. If I had a knife, if I had a gun, I'd shoot the both of you. <laughs> that was the first night I met him. Oh, that's very funny. In these days and times, we're all looking for a reason to laugh these days because, you know, you turn on oh the TV, my God. you pick up the paper. What do you see out there? I'm just happy just to be here to, to see that 
America is getting what it deserves. Today, as swarms of protesters supporting outgoing President Donald Trump stormed the building in an attempt to force Congress to undo Trump's election loss. Well, what we're getting is a maniac is running the country. We're going to walk down to the Capitol because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength. Whatever it takes, Rick is dictator. POTUS my tail. Astabator. Prime time. Primo. Prime time. Prime. Like no other in this lifetime. White House killer. Dead in life lies. Put this joke out. Or die trying. Unprecedented. Dominant. Many president. Nazi Gestapo. Dictator defendant. It's not what you think. It's what you follow. Run for them Jews. Fight for that America is getting what it deserves. Treat me like a black person. They created that environment, the racial environment. You know the jokes. I mean, if you watch white folks' old movies and old cartoons and old magazines and read their, you know, go read their books and from a long time ago, they've always made fun of anybody who wasn't white you know they've always got a joke out of it they always find it very funny they always find it very comical please don't beat me my husband don't beat that tired old body no no what's this i hear about you whipping slaves i just think basically they can dish but they can't take it you just know you just walked into you know, it all depends on what makes them comfortable, what what time is, what what fits for them. All right, the show is starting five more minutes. Five more minutes, the show will start. There's so much that can be said about the Paul Mooney Presents a Night of Comedy concert series. So let's begin by acknowledging those that came out nationwide as Paul Mooney presented the best in senior and up-and-coming comedians of TV, film, and social media. During intermission, Paul managed to stop by the lobbies to pose for pictures, signed autographs, and even took a few selfies. Now, these series of comedy events began in Oakland and wrapped up in New Orleans night after night and was produced by Rudy and Regina Clinette Entertainment Productions, all in the name of comedy for the man himself, Mr. Paul Mooney. Give yourselves a round of applause. Come back, folks. You look great, and we want to thank you for coming out. I love to see you here. Real quick, I got to make a shout-out. Today is one of my favorite comedians that's ever lived birthday. So I wanted to just film you guys wishing him happy birthday. This motherfucker is turning 79 today. This motherfucker is a comedy legend, and only other legends would understand. You're the best. You're one of the greatest comedians I've ever seen in any era, and you're my hero. Happy birthday, Paul Mooney. I love you. I've known it for a long time that laughter is powerful. I like what I do, and I think that's a blessing. When you laugh, it releases some kind of energy that's great, you know? It's a healer. I'm blessed, and I appreciate that. This morning at 10.15 a.m. Eastern, I received a phone call, and my phone lit up and it said, Paul Mooney. But when I answered the call, it was his cousin, Rudy Ely, letting me know that two hours earlier, Paul had passed away from a heart attack. So they were unable to revive him, and he was pronounced dead at the age of 79. Uh, one of the best comedians I've ever had the privilege of seeing. I can say this almost every single time I was around Paul. 
I learned something. He was committed to the thing that he loved, which was comedy. Paul often uh, felt uh, in my exchanges with him that he was unappreciated, that people didn't understand how great he was, and he would let you know it all the time. But he was truly a great artist. I was in Og Mooney the first time I met him. Of course, he paid me no mind, like a bug on a table. Because Woody didn't like anybody unless he respected you. And he wasn't shy about telling anybody who he cared for or who he didn't care for. Mooney never tried to change me. He never said you should be more ladylike. He never said you should watch that mouth because he was all about calling it what it is and not trying to make white folks comfortable. That's a tough one. I want to shout out every comedian on earth when the best that ever did it passed away today. His legacy will live forever. He did everything from Richard Pryor's show to Chappelle's show. He's one of the first black people ever in the Writers Guild. Paul Mooney will be sorely missed and wildly remembered. An absolute giant. Ladies and gentlemen, 37 years ago, when I was a 19-year-old, budding actor. I was doing a play at the Inner City Cultural Center at 1308 South New Hampshire. And it was a play called Fight the Good Fight. And there was a set of twins in the play. And throughout rehearsal, they said to me, how old are you? I said, 19. They said, you know, you really need to meet our father. You know, you, you talk shit at a standard that recalls our father. And I said, okay. And I was so honored when Paul Mooney came to 1308 South New Hampshire and walked up those steps at the Inner City Cultural Center. He had a two-seater Benz with blue interior. He had on a lid that was just fantastic. He was clean as a Safeway Chitlin as he ascended those stairs. And he came up those stairs and we did the show and afterward he said, oh nigga, you're very talented nigga. You're very talented nigga. And it was such an encouraging disposition in my beloved Paul. So for 37 years, I had Paul in a most rich and extraordinary way in my life based on his twin sons, who, and I'd like to introduce them at this time. Would you please welcome to this podium the Mooney Twins, the conscious comedy of the Mooney Twins, Daryl and Dwayne Mooney, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please? How's everybody doing? Thank you. We want to give you all thank love you, and appreciation. You, thank, you. thank you all. Yes. Thank you all for coming. Give yourselves a nice round of applause. Yes, give it up to yourself. For celebrating our father, Mr. Oh, Paul, Paul Mooney. Yes, and thank you, if, brother. And as everyone says, he's the only comedian who has sons older than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, those aren't my children. Those are Dick Gregory's children. children. And the thing is, our mother was 14. He was two. <laughs> we want to say give honor to our father. And it was a trip because, again, like I said, he always, when we first started visiting our father, he always said, please don't tell, you niggas look too old. Oh. Don't tell anyone you're my sons. You old looking I am trying to be 22 Two and the one, mug and you guys are fucking all oh. of that up. up please tell them you are my brothers, brothers. we're like oh my god 
Dad, why you want to do us like that? I want to be your sons, man. Sons, you're hurting our feelings. So he was doing a movie, right? Called The Mac 2. The Mac 2. He's going, to take, he's going to take Max Julian's place. Yes. He said, twins, brothers. I'm going in character. I got my Mac hat on. I'm playing a pimp. Here's two Mac hats for you. I want you to drive down the street with me. Y'all sit in the back seat with your hats on. We're going to look like the Jackson 5. Yes, but three of us. You're the three of us. You, I'm Tito, and you all are Michael and Marlon. Oh. So, so we're in the back seat. It's a 69 convertible, top down, driving down sunset. Looking for hoes. Yes. Because he's, he's in character. He's in character. He's the pimp. He the back. We see three hoes on sunset. Three of them. Five. Chocolate five. Chocolate. Light skin five. Yeah. Latina five. Right. He gets up out the car. Hey, what's up? He in character. What's up, bitches? I'm looking for hoes for my stable. Yeah. And I want y'all. Yeah. They said, the chocolate one said, ooh, you fine. Who are those young, beautiful twins? And he said, those are my sons. And we, we said, said, no, nigga, we're your brothers. We're your brothers today. In fact, we're your older brothers. That's right. Get in the back seat. Those are our women. Then, then one time we were writing for him on Judge Mooney's show yes. for BET. This was an amazing story. We were writing, and we were making some money, had business credit, had $200,000 worth of business credit. We came up with two cold black Mercedes. Brand new Mercedes. Oh. Our father drove up on the lot in another 1969 convertible Cadillac. He looked at us, the Mercedes and the money we had, he jumped out the car and said, you niggas have gone from coon to tycoon. Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney. Mooney. Taught us so much. We want to say. Taught, wait a minute. Wait a minute yes, wait. sir. Taught us how to stand up for ourselves. That's right. Taught us how to understand racism and use the verbal language to destroy it. That's right. Taught us racist thing. Yeah. Taught us how to stand up for ourselves, like he said. Taught us about black consciousness, because remember, our father was not only a great comedian, but he also destroyed in the minds of especially black people. That's right. Over 500 years of post-traumatic slavery syndrome that was locked in the mind, he freed some niggas. That's right. Y'all don't understand what yes. I'm saying? His comedy, yes. remember he died. Yes. He died on Malcolm X's, X's birthday. And he always said he was the Malcolm X of comedy. That's right. So we, today, we give our father praise and know that his legacy will continue. And his biggest legacy of all that he did and all the people that he helped is his children. Is his children. Daryl Moon, Dwayne Moon, Spring Moon, Elisa Moon, Shane Moon. Brother we will Late carry the Let's legacy. Not forget Brother Late Simeon. Simeon. Moon. 
Simeon. And we want to thank publicly, we want to thank publicly, we want to thank our cousin Rudy Ely That's right. for taking care of our father for the last eight years. Yes. Him and Carolyn, yes. thank them so much for their service to our father. But you let that nigga know it's our time right now. That's right. Anybody who knows him. And also, the family got this. We want to say, that's right. We want to thank Yvonne Mooney for having Spring and Shane and the Simeon. We want to thank our mother for being a little 14-year-old hoochie. Yes, she was. Having us. Because they didn't know I was here. They only thought it was one child. He came out first. I push his ass out. So we want to bring the family up. We want to bring the children up. Please, the family spring. up. Alicia. Come on up, Spring. Shane. Alicia. Where's Alicia? Shane. Come up. Come on up. The family. The family. Is Alicia the only one coming? Where's Shane? Where's Shane at? Come on up. The brainchild of this whole event yes. is this one right here. This one right here. Y'all stand is why up this for is her. Going on. This happened because right of here. her. Stand Shame. up for her. This now, tribute is because now, of her. Now, because of him, the after party. Right here. The after party. <laughs> Where's the say sister? Say two words, Sister Frank. I'm so shy. So anyways, I just want to say thank you so much. It means so much to me. My father was loved. I love him so much. I will miss my best friend. I love you dearly and just thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank Shame. you. Shame. 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 Yeah, I'm on here. I need to start doing rocking the mic at the clubs, bad. I sound good. Anyway, I just want to say that uh, to you, to everybody, he was, you know, comedian, writer, famous. To me, he was just my father. And okay, Alicia, Alicia, I just, yes, I just want to say that we loved our dad dearly. We each of us had a special bond with him, and that's it. It's all right. That's all, That's right, all right, Shane. Brother. That's all right. It's all right, Shane. We celebrate. We celebrate. We celebrate. Now, Elisa, she's the one with the white mother. So, so Paul did like white people. Yes, he loved white. Hated he the white man, like white but he people. loved the white woman. So don't get it twisted. So, and and, our, and our mother is not white. Our mother is a light-skinned sister who thinks she's white, but we want to go, Alisa, a few words. Lily. White, no. Alisa Marie, Schwartz, <laughs> Looney Perry, all the names. Yes. I just want to say thank you so much for everyone that came out tonight to honor our father. It's a wild history. It's surreal. It's amazing. I am in complete, utter honor for all of you that talk so much about our father because he was amazing and wonderful and we all have a piece of him in us. It's undeniable. 
It's amazing, and we love you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is the Mooney family. This is the Mooney family. Thank you. That's it. Know what we look like. So if anything goes down, it comes through us. We are at one, one accord. The Mooney family, the Mooney twins and the family, thank you, love you so very much. We love you. We love you. Debbie Allen, Fisher, say Pittsburgh. Yes. We love y'all. Peace. The Mooney family, y'all, give them another hand. All right, y'all. Before we go right here, I'd like to just personally thank as the musical director for this event, Bill Hammond Entertainment, and okay, all that's coming. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today. I really want to thank, excuse me, Angela Witherspoon and David Letterman, who made the initial calls to me and Wayne to do this for the yes. family. And we did this from our heart. And we made the phone calls. We raised the money. We did what we needed to do to do this and show appreciation for them. And Wayne Lindsay and the band, thank you. Our donors, Brian Rich Wayne and Letterman, Harvey, everyone that uh, helped us out today. I hope you enjoyed. And uh, thank you. So go ahead, Wayne. Earl Cooney on guitar, y'all. Rico Nichols on drums, Brandon Brown on bass, Pastor Funk. We're going to close out now with a lady we've heard from. I just called her name earlier, but I didn't tell everybody how special and beautiful and wonderful she is. Another one, y'all. Denise Williams.
Gentlemen, Miss Denise Williams. Miss Denise Williams, let her hear it. She's absolutely the best. 
know that tonight here in the theater at 9 p.m., there will be a party and another celebration for Mr. Paul Mooney. Thank you so very much. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Renfroy Brown. That's my time. Thank you all so very much. Put your hands up for Ren Brown, our host tonight. Give it up, Ren. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, everybody. God bless you, Paul. Special day. Thank the band. folks uh with that that is the uh end of this uh paul moon memorial service you heard bill hammond say at the end uh it was david letterman uh as well as the wife of john witherspoon who passed away last year who called bill and said hey we got to put together a tribute uh in honor of paul mooney that's how this whole thing came together that's how the money was raised a number of comedians came together and put the money together for this i uh, hail here uh, at uh the hotel roosevelt right here on uh, hollywood boulevard of course uh this is the uh, memorial service program right here uh for paul mooney uh it was uh what he would have expected uh being irreverent uh matter of fact i think paul probably would have said there wasn't enough cussing uh, for him, but uh, that's that's how it so goes. And so, uh, let me we go shout out to uh, Paul's cousin Rudy. Uh, Rudy was the one uh, who when I, we broke the story of Paul's death, Rudy was the one who gave me a call. He would often uh, give me a call, uh, and he said, uh, he's again, he said that uh, Paul was like, he said, well, that's a, that's, that's a he said that, that's that smart little N word. Anything happens to me, you call him first. So Paul was so black, he wanted black-owned media to break the news of his death. Uh, Rudy was not here. I just finished texting him uh, a few moments ago. But we certainly wanted to thank him again because he was the one who took care of Paul for the last decade. Paul was suffering from dementia. Uh, and so, uh, and Rudy told the story uh, that Paul asked him for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then Paul, Rudy went to the kitchen to get it. When he came back, that's when Paul had the heart attack. And he called the cops. They could not revive him. And so, uh, so many comedians came here uh, to show their love. Uh, Kim Whitley, uh, Kim Whitley was here. Uh, she was speaking. So many folks uh, were here, folks. So uh, it was, again, uh, a, a truly a great uh, celebration. Um, is there a uh, uh, that, so that what was going on here? And so uh, that was the deal, folks. And so we appreciate all of you uh, watching this live broadcast here on Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, of this celebration, the life and legacy of the great comedian Paul Mooney. Uh, we want to thank all of you also uh, who've been watching, who support what we do. Your dollars also make it possible for us to do this here. As I always say, you can support us via cash app, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered, and also Zell is rolling at rollingthismartin.com. So, folks, thank you so very much. I'll see you tomorrow broadcasting live from Chicago. That's it for me. Thanks a lot. We're going to close the show out. We're going to close the show out with my interview with Paul Mooney and Dick Gregory at the Essence Festival a number of years ago. When you hear post-racial, what's the first thing you think of when you hear we're in a post-racial America? America's not in a post-racial. That'll never happen. Mm -mm. It's habit. And white people are habit creatures. I think people misjudge uh, white people in a lot of ways. 
I don't think race is a big deal with white people. I really don't. I think it's all a pretense. Mm-hmm. You know, because they created that environment, the racial environment, you know, the jokes. I mean, if you watch white folks' old movies and old mm-hmm. cartoons and old magazines and read their, you know, go read their books and from a long time ago, they've always made fun of anybody who wasn't white. You know, they've always got a joke out of it. They always find it very funny. They always find it very comical. So when you flip it, yeah, you're saying... I just think, basically, they can dish, but they can't take it. (laughs) That's just how I feel about it. Or maybe they can take... I don't... Sometimes they confuse me. Sometimes they laugh, they don't laugh. They, You know, it all depends on what makes them comfortable, what what time is, what, what fits for them, what works for them. When you talk about uncomfortable, I want to bring in Dick Gregory right now. Now, here's somebody. I, Dick, come on in. The two of you can you truly work. make folks uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think. I think, I think we work well together. We do. And, you, you know, really, what is uncomfortable? You know, you go back and you look at all the Bob Hope jokes, and you could tell when he's going to talk about a black princess walking out speaking to this bebopper the other day. <laughs> And, and, and so if you look, you see, people look at us, but there's a slew of young white and black comics that's coming out there, and they don't care. They get up on that stage because what they're talking about is today's time. Mm-hmm. Today's time, a new rhythm. That's what they're talking about. And here's the genius. He, he brings from back there all the way up to here and then go beyond. I just interviewed Ice-T about his new documentary, uh, Something Out of Nothing, The Art of Rap. And he talked about, it's an art. You talk about genius. This, is, this isn't just you just hop up on the stage and just start spouting stuff off. There's a real art to what you do. The, the greatest laugh you ever had in your life didn't come from professional comedians. come from friends and relatives. When you're talking about comedy, that's a timing. Mm-hmm. That's a timing. And so when you look at what, what Ice-T is on rap, rap go all the way back to Africa. When there wasn't no intimates. Boom, blah, blah, boom, 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 boom. And if you look at the black folks in college doing the steps, the difference was in, in, in Africa, way back there, you wrapped what was happening in the local environment. Mm-hmm. They had no instruments. And then all the ones that come up, you hear people talk about these rappers, what they talk like. They ain't, I'm 80 years old. There ain't been a new cuss word invented since I was born. <laughs> you know? So where did they hear it? Comedians I talk to talk about your genius. Who is it today you like to listen to? You want to hear do comedy? Today? Today. Nobody. Nobody. Him. And him. So, you know, this you know. current generation. <laughs> no, 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 no. The reason I ask, because you were in your book, you talked about Dave Chappelle being on the show, things along those lines. I'm just curious for you, who do you say, if I had to drop down $25, I want to go pay to hear that cat do Well, they're all dead. The ones I like. Yeah, and the other thing is, <laughs> if you got time to go see somebody else's show, you ain't working. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they're all dead. I mean, Flip Wilson's gone. Slappy White is gone. Yeah. Richard Pryor's gone. You see, I didn't like none of them. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Pryor. Slappy <laughs> <laughs> no. White was trying to behave. He come out with a white glove and a black glove. He had a white glove and a black glove. What's the other one that used to sell drugs in Vegas? He's gone, the big fat one. George Kirby? Yeah, he's yeah. gone. Yeah. They're all there. Yeah. They're all there. But, 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 but also, you know, nigga came to me and told me he was George Kirby? <laughs> well, well, he didn't only sell drugs, he still used them. <laughs> <laughs>
But you know, it's like you. You know, what commentators do you like to listen to? You understand? Mm -hmm. They're all different. See, when I was a little boy, I thought whiskey was whiskey. I didn't know it was bourbon, scotch, you know, uh, wine. And then as you get up here, then you see the the breakdown. And he's at the head of the class. Got to ask you this. And I did a piece in Ebony Magazine on the county issue. I said, who was, who was the funniest person in your life who was a non-comedian, who was just flat-out funny? One guy talked about a guy who was a tailor yeah. he worked with. This dude was just funny. Uncle Dudlow. Oh, we got him in, all of them's in the family. Uncle Dudlow. All of us have him. For you. Somebody, friend, family member, whatever, at this cat, never been on stage, but just funny. Just flat-out funny. Nigga Bob. Yeah. Nigga Bob was real funny. That is. Hmm? He was just funny because he was nigger Bob. And he just get up and just talk about everybody. Anything. Yeah. Just anything. Just, Any you situation. could drop a glass yeah. and he could talk about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> Got to go political. If you had one question sitting in front of President Obama, what would you ask him? I need a co-signer for the new car I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Be my co-signer. You said the one question. One question. I would say stop making white people mad. (laughs) He makes he pisses white people off. He just does. That's that's his gift. That's his gift as a black man. He makes white people very angry, and he does it on purpose. You know that by the people he picks to be in office. Yes. He, you know, I have made a prediction. I said he's going to make a midget head of the army. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Now, if I had my way, I'd, I'd, I'd tell him I have to dress him for you. I'd give him a conk and some shoes with bunion pads on them. You know, see, they're used to that. <laughs> Last question for both of you. Is there any other thing that you would have liked to do in your life other than comedy? Anything other than make people laugh? Right. Uh, no. Not me. No. Like what? What would you suggest? Not suggesting, just asking. But remember, we didn't choose it. We didn't come up and say, I'm going to be a comic. You got people saying, I'm going to be a singer. I'm going to be a dancer. Right. You know, anybody ever walked out to Korea That's first and second funny. grade talking about, I'm going to be a comic. That reminds me of when they asked uh, Miles Davis, they said, if you had 15 minutes to live, what would you do? And he said, choke a white man to death. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a hell of a state. I mean, no, I'm not. This is true. I'm not making this up. I'm not that good. Okay, Paul, so if you had 15 minutes to live, what would you do? If I had 15 minutes to live? What would you do? I wouldn't choke somebody to death. I wouldn't do that. But uh, let me see. How about drowning them? <laughs> <laughs> okay, teasing, teasing. Your, your show's so serious. Teasing. No, no, trust me. Trust me. We are not serious every single time. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This 
is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.